0: Hello, and welcome to episode sixteen of Real Life Ghost Stories.
1: Back once again.
0: We are starting today's episode with another podcast promo and this is Horror Comics Podcast. Full disclosure, I didn't listen to it because I don't know anything about comics. Could be brilliant, I wouldn't know. So I left this one to Dan. Dan, over to you. What did you think of Horror Comics Podcast?
1: I did listen to it and I do like comics but not to a massive extent so I don't know a whole load about it. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really quaint little podcast. And it was actually quite entertaining on my drive to work this morning. So I really appreciated listening to him. Basically, it revolves around this guy called Chris who reads his from his extensive horror comics collection, which is quite niche we're not talking superheroes we're talking about comics that are in our field of expertise paranormal stories and he basically turns it into a li- almost a little radio serial so he does the voices and everything like that so if you enjoy listening to emma reading our stories because you like the element of the storytelling that goes on then i reckon that chris and horror comics podcast is a good listen for you
0: so we're gonna play chris's promo because he sent it over to us let's hope it's not silence
1: Hello, this is Chris with the Horror Comics Podcast, a radio play style look at old school horror comics. We're talking about Creepy, Tales from the Crypt, Haunt of Fear, Vault of Horror, Boris Karloff, Tales of Mystery, The Witching Hour, Ghosts, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, a little bit of Swamp Thing. And digging into a lot of pre-code comics Before they started censoring And digging into a lot of books that were censored I Play it a little loose the whole time Have a couple of drinks and go through it And just have a good time with it But sometimes we're sitting down We're actually discussing the creators that time period What the censorship looks like Without taking the show too seriously And every now and then we might sprinkle in A little uh, real life horror story or ghost tale If it sounds interesting, please check it out Grab a drink, turn off the lights And let's get spooky
0: And we're back. So if you enjoyed that little promo, if you enjoyed Dan's little review, go and listen to Horror Comics Podcast. You can find him pretty much everywhere that you can find us. And we've got a film review this week. Yes, we have. And it is Velvet Buzzsaw. And Velvet Buzzsaw was released in 2019. It is 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb and 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm going to read you a little synopsis. After a series of paintings by an unknown artist are discovered, a supernatural force enacts revenge on those who have allowed their greed to get in the way of art. The end, that's the synopsis.
1: It's a good synopsis. (laughs) Pretty much sums up the film though, to be fair, the story of the film. That's
0: the point of a synopsis, would you believe?
1: I have to say, I did suggest that we watch this off the back of seeing the trailer because I thought, oh, this is a new film and it's interesting. Yeah, horror elements to it. But the reason I watched the trailer in the first place was because the name made me think of an eighties wrestling character, like a really bad eighties wrestling character. <gasps>
0: oh, if you don't know, no, you probably aren't gonna know.
1: Buzzer.
0: Dan is obsessed with wrestling. So if you're a wrestling fan, let us know. I was talking to somebody on Instagram the other day who was a wrestling fan. And because of you watching wrestling, I could just about keep up with the conversation. So it's useful.
1: Yeah. But, but That it- was that's why I watched that was why I watched the trailer to begin with, and then I watched the trailer and I was like, ooh, there's some creepy stuff yeah, It's got stuff Jake Gyllenhaal
0: on. in it, and I like Jake Gyllenhaal. And I thought he, I thought, I thought he was really good yeah. at it. The, the film itself is centred around the... It's a satire, basically, on the art world and art critics and how pretentious and patronising the art world is. Which, I mean, I don't know if I... I don't know. I don't, I don't operate in the art world. I like art. Don't get modern art. I do.
1: I'm actually a well-known art critic.
0: Oh, I, I really didn't know. Keep yeah, that one quiet.
1: Regular column in The Guardian
0: nice mm. it's a weird little film but the horror that i not i didn't like the horror elements no it wasn't i'm gonna be really frank i didn't
1: it wasn't very horary actually no. it's one of those classic ones that netflix do all the time where they put all the best bits in the trailer yeah and then the rest of it's a little bit that's true a little bit left of his desire but i liked it because it was very visually
0: it was beautiful
1: there were some amazing cut shots of the mm. of la and of miami and i was just like wow they're amazing Oh, I don't think you really appreciated me saying that during the film, but I was quite taken by those. And I like the fact that it's got a message behind it.
0: The very beginning of the film, they talk about how art is for the rich and how and they're, they're quite negative about the fact that art is for the rich and that most art, new art and up-and-coming art is only seen by rich people because they buy it. They, they go to these exclusive previews and exclusive exhibitions and spend millions on art pieces that get taken away. So the, the normal people normal people you know what i mean like me and you don't get to see those art pieces uh, excuse me
1: art critic totally sorry, sorry you yeah.
0: see all these art pieces all the time yeah. but i mean it's a i don't really know what to say about it it's a really weird a weird little film it's visually beautiful yeah. i like the message about art being for art's sake and art not being for greed and money but don't pitch it as a horror because actually no. the horror elements aren't good No, they're just and not good
1: and it's like, I thought it was quite clever, but I wouldn't I wouldn't have said it was a horror film. It had some little, like, it was a bit creepy, but it wasn't even like, some of the bad films that we've reviewed recently have been more creepy than this. It was just clever, I do, and you just wanted, I just wanted to see what happened. I wasn't really like, there was no jump scares in it. I wasn't really no, there like, weren't. on the edge of my seat at any point, but I was really intrigued to see how it would pan out, because you have a rough idea where it's going to go.
0: I'll tell you what though, those monkeys, So one of the first deaths <laughs> in the film, he dies because of a lot of monkeys in an art piece in a painting, and the monkeys in the painting come to life and kill them. I'm not. I'm not giving away anything there, really, except for the fact the paintings come to life. Ooh. I think that's in the trailer anyway. Yeah, the monkeys look like the fucking little CGI monkeys in Jumanji. Magi- yeah. <laughs> we did not say this no. at the time, but didn't yeah, they? Yeah,
1: yeah. I thought Jumanji as soon as they started to turn in the painting, I was like, "Oh, Jumanji!" I yeah, they do. That little boy with a monkey face to come out from somewhere. You know, the oh yeah,
0: yeah, the, the one, one that, that looks
1: th- like David the hare,
0: Yeah, the one that becomes a little monkey. Oh yeah, gas. Mm. So yeah, I just do you know what? I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it three out of five, and the reason I'm giving it three out of five is because I think it's a really. It's really different. It's it's really quite clever. I like the critique of the art world. I don't live in the art world, so I mean it might not be like that. But I mean, can only assume that it is. No, it's like It's very that.
1: harsh, actually. We're we're normally quite nice people.
0: I love the way you're carrying this on. I think it's really visually appealing. Like it's a stunningly beautiful film. But I, it's not horror. Sorry, sorry, no. Netflix, if you're listening.
1: I'm gonna give it a free. I think. It was for similar reasons. I enjoyed. I did enjoy it as a film. I'm quite easily pleased when it comes to films, as you all know by now. But it wasn't a horror. But it was a good film. Uh, I thought Jack Gyllenhaal. 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 Gyllenhaal was uh, very good. Sorry, the real denunciation <laughs> was. A, was did a very good performance, and I thought his character was probably the most interesting on screen. Actually, because it was. Um, and I liked it. I liked it as a story, but it just wasn't really a horror film. And it did. There was no. I wasn't scared at any point.
0: No, me neither. I just
1: wanted to see what happened.
0: It kind of had elements of Final Destination about
1: it. Yeah. Yeah, that it was not of, quite like that. Yeah,
0: so that that kind of weird death—you're going to die. Yeah. You can't escape it. Kind of feeling, but it wasn't. It definitely wasn't. And I got a bit
1: confused about the message as well, really, because at the you know we we discussed what we thought it was, which was like you shouldn't be profiting off of art. Yeah, but at the end, I just came to the conclusion that the actual message was art as shit because they just ended up boxing it all up and hiding it away, didn't they?
0: That's <laughs> true. They hid it all away, the and then the the yeah. I'm not going to. I was going to give the whole ending away there, but I'm not going to do that. Our story today. Yes. There are a couple of stories that we said, or rather I said from the beginning that we were never going to do. And one of those stories was the Diet Love case. And here we are.
1: And I love this story.
0: <laughs> I hate this story. I'm gonna, like, I'm just going to say it from the beginning. I absolutely hate this story. It terrifies the life out of me. I don't even like to think about it. And We'll get to talking about it at the end.
1: I'm just going to give you a little insight though before we read it, just to emphasise that how how little Emma wanted to do this story. If you're sitting next to her while she was researching it, the amount of noises and frustration and scared groans and <laughs> utter fear that came out of Emma's mouth while she was researching it would have really sold the fact that she really doesn't want to do this story. So I'm going, to, I'm intrigued to see how she's going to read it. To be honest.
0: I'm going to apologise in advance as well because I'm probably going to pronounce loads of these names wrong. I, I did try and practice beforehand, but I know when I'm reading them. I'm also oh, like... Oh,
1: there's me thinking you're having some Russian conversation to yourself and you're just repeating the names.
0: No, no, no. I'm not a secret sleeper agent. Mm. I'm also a glass of wine in, so that might help or it might hinder this. I don't know. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. Let's go. In 1959, a group was formed for a skiing expedition across the northern Urals. Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student, was the leader who assembled a group of nine others for the trip, most of whom were fellow students and peers at the university. Each member of the group, which consisted of eight men and two women, were experienced Grade 2 hikers with ski tour experience and would be receiving Grade 3 certification upon their return. At the time, this was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union and required candidates to traverse 300 kilometres. On the 27th of January, they began their trek. On the 28th of January, one of the members, Yuri Yudin, who suffered from several health ailments, turned back due to knee and joint pain that made him unable to continue the hike. The remaining group of nine people continued on the trek. Diaries and cameras found around their last campsite made it possible to track the group's route up to the day preceding the incident. On the 31st of January, the group arrived at the edge of a highland area and began to prepare for climbing. In a wooded valley, they cached surplus food and equipment that would be used for the trip back. The following day, the 1st of February, the hikers started to move through the pass. It seems they planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side. But because of worsening weather conditions, they lost a direction and deviated west. When they realised their mistake, the group decided to stop and set up camp there on the slope of the mountain, rather than moving 1.5 kilometres downhill to a forested area which would have offered some shelter from the elements. Yudin postulated that Dyatlov probably did not want to lose the altitude they had gained, or he decided to practice camping on the mountain slope. Before leaving, Dyatlov had agreed he would send a telegram to their sports club as soon as the group were able to. It was expected that this would happen no later than the 12th of February, but Dyatlov had told Uden, before his departure from the group, that he expected to be a bit longer. When the 12th passed and no messages had been received, there was no immediate reaction, as delays of a few days were common with such expeditions. On the 20th of February, the relatives of the travellers demanded a rescue operation and the head of the institute sent the first rescue groups consisting of volunteer students and teachers. Later, the army became involved, with planes and helicopters being ordered to join the rescue operation. On the 26th of February, the searchers found the group's abandoned and badly damaged tent. The campsite baffled the search party. Mikhail Sharavin, the student who found the tent, said... The tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Investigators said the tent had been cut open from the inside. Eight or nine sets of footprints, left by people who were wearing only socks, or maybe a single shoe, or were even barefoot, could be followed, leading down towards the edge of a nearby woods, on the opposite side of the pass, a mile to the northeast. However, after 500 metres, these tracks were covered with snow. At the forest's edge, under a large Siberian pine, the searchers found the visible remains of a small fire. There they found the first two bodies. Those of Krivanoshenko and Durashenko, shoeless and dressed only in their underwear. The branches on the tree were broken up to five metres high, suggesting that one of the skiers had climbed up to look for something, perhaps the camp. Between the pine and the camp, the searchers found three more corpses. Dyatlov, Kolmogorova and Slobodin, who seemed to have died in poses suggesting that they were attempting to return to the tent. Finding the remaining four travellers took more than two months. They were finally found on the 4th of May, under four metres of snow, in a ravine further into the woods from the pine tree. These four were better dressed than the others, and there were signs that those who had died first had apparently relinquished their clothes to the others. Zolotorov was wearing Dubonina's faux fur coat and hat, while Dubonina's foot was wrapped in a piece of Krivonishenko's wool trousers. A legal inquest started immediately after the first five bodies were found. A medical examination found no injuries that might have led to their deaths, and it was eventually concluded that they had all died of hypothermia. Slobodin had a small crack in his skull, but it was not thought to be a fatal wound. An examination of the four bodies which were found in May shifted the narrative as to what had occurred during the incident. Three of the ski hikers had fatal injuries. One had major skull damage. And two others had major chest fractures. According to doctors, the force required to cause such damage would have been extremely high, comparable to the force of a car crash. Notably, the bodies had no external wounds associated with the bone fractures, as if they had been subjected to high level of pressure. However, major external injuries were found on one who was missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, as well as facial tissue and fragments of her skull bone. She also had extensive skin maceration on the hands. It was claimed that she was found lying face down in a small stream that ran under the snow and that her external injuries were in line with putrefaction in a wet environment and were unlikely to be associated with her death. There was initial speculation that the indigenous Mansai people had attacked and murdered the group for encroaching upon their lands but investigation indicated that the nature of their deaths did not support this hypothesis. Only the hikers' footprints were visible and they showed no signs of hand-to-hand struggle. Although the temperature was very low, around minus 25 to minus 30 degrees Celsius, with a storm blowing, the dead were only partially dressed. Some of them had only one shoe, while others had no shoes or wore only socks. Some were found wrapped in snips of ripped clothes that seemed to have been cut from those who were already dead. Journalists reporting on the available parts of the inquest files claim that it states six of the group members died of hypothermia and three of fatal injuries. There were no indications of other people nearby. The tent had been ripped open from within. The victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Traces from the camp show that all group members left the campsite of their own accord, on foot. To dispel the theory of an attack of the indigenous Mansai people, an expert stated that the fatal injuries of the three bodies could not have been caused by another human being, because the force of the blows had been too strong and no soft tissue had been damaged. Released documents contain no information about the condition of the skier's internal organs. There were no survivors of the incident. At the time, the verdict was that the group members had all died because of a compelling natural force. The inquest officially ceased in May 1959 as a result of the absence of a guilty party. The files were then sent to a secret archive. On the 12th of April 2018, the remains of one were exhumed upon the initiative of journalists of a Russian tabloid. Contradictory results were obtained. One of the experts stated that the character of the injuries resembled a person knocked down by a car, and the DNA analysis did not reveal any similarity to the DNA of living relatives. In addition, it turned out that the name is not on the list of buried at the cemetery. Nevertheless... The reconstruction of the face from the exhumed skull agrees with the post-war photographs of this person, although journalists express suspicion that another person was hiding under that same name after the war. A 21-year-old, who later became the head of the Dyatlov Foundation, attended five of the hikers' funerals. He recalled that their skin had a deep brown tan. Another group of hikers reported that they saw strange orange spheres in the sky to the north on the night of the incident. Similar spheres were observed in adjacent areas continually during the period from February to March 1959 by various independent witnesses, including the meteorology service and the military. However, these sightings were not noted in the initial investigation in 1959 and these various independent witnesses only came forward years later. The former police officer who led the official inquest in 1959 published an article in 1990 which included his admission that the investigation team had no rational explanation for the accident. He also stated that after his team reported that they had seen flying spheres, he then received direct orders from high-ranking regional officials to dismiss this claim immediately. In February 2019, it was announced that the Russian authorities were reopening the investigation, although only three possible explanations were being considered. An avalanche, a snow slab, or a hurricane. The possibility of a crime of any sort has been completely discounted. What are your thoughts?
1: I've got so much to say about this, but I think we need to do this like an investigation.
0: Okay, so do you want me to go for the theories, the popular theories first? Yes. Theory number one, it was an avalanche. No. Why not?
1: It's just too random to be an avalanche, I think. These are experienced ski people, okay? so really Soviet, experienced. Yeah, so Soviet Union at this time doesn't give out records of sporting achievement lightly, okay? It's something they pride themselves on, particularly that's in the 50s and late 50s and early 60s. You can argue whether that might be because of other reasons other than just natural ability, but they don't give them out if you can't do what you say you do because they compete on a national level. That's the thing that they do. Like, that's an important thing to Soviet Union. They're about to just do their level three. They'd know what to do in the case of an avalanche. So
0: when they had done this, they would have achieved yeah. their level three. Yeah.
1: So they wouldn't know what to do in the avalanche. And it, they, the, their reaction to it is too haphazard. The fact they come out half clothed. No, nah, it just it doesn't sit right with me.
0: So an expert investigated this and he hypothesized where the... So there's two, there's two different accounts of where the campsite was. And either one, doesn't matter if it was closer to the pine tree... It was close to the the river where she was found. There was not scope for them to be victim of an avalanche in the area that they were camped in.
1: And they would have known that as well, because yeah. they would have camped somewhere that where they weren't going to likely to be victims of it. Like avalanches aren't rare occurrences in like ski situations. Like yeah. they happen often. And if you're uh, these aren't just like leisure skiers, they're ski trekkers, so they'd be experienced in this stuff. They're just not going to camp in the way of an avalanche. I just don't think that's a, a viable option. And it doesn't explain like the girl being found with her eyes and tongue missing.
0: Theory number two, it was infrasound. And infrasound is a frequency of sound that is so low, we obviously can't hear it, but it's known to induce panic attacks. And then there are some theories that suggest that the sound of the wind passing through the mountains created an infrasound that caused them to panic and flee.
1: I'm saying yes to the infrasound and no to it naturally occurring.
0: Well, infrasound doesn't explain the injuries they sustained.
1: No, but it would... Ex- it,
0: if, they, if they had all just been proven to have died of hypothermia, then I would... I'm
1: not saying thermia, yes. I'm saying as more of a possibility with okay, infrasound. So- because if you think about having... If you're cutting yourself out of the tent from the inside, that's a panic thing. It's like it takes... It's quicker to do that than it is to undo the zip. Yeah. So that could be something that triggered it. But I think it's more likely to be something else that causes the infrasound rather than a natural thing, which I think might be one of your hypotheses later. So I'm going to leave it at that.
0: Number three, military testing.
1: Yes, that's what I thought you were going to (laughs) say.
0: The reason why people believe there was military testing involved is because some of the items and some of the victims were found to have low levels of radioactivity. People argue that if it was a military test, that the radioactivity would have been on all of their items and all of the victims, not just some of them. However, I did read a mad theory on Instagram. And that was that these people were unwittingly and unknowingly subject to a military test where they were testing food that would give you super energy and super strength. And that the reason why they had radioactivity on them was because they'd eaten this food, but the food had induced madness and they had died. And the part the guy who left the mountain was the government mole who had given them all the food or supplied the food or whatever it was they were. Never consuming. heard that theory before, Neither but that no.
1: sounds amazing. Because that would be the theory. kind of thing that the Soviets and any country would be testing. Actually. Yeah, can you be
0: careful about accusing the Soviets of stuff? Like if they're listening to this podcast, we're gonna get murdered.
1: But they don't exist anymore. The I don't want that. Don't exist anymore.
0: Well, you know what I mean? Okay. I don't want that. <laughs> but that's
1: life. the kind of thing. If you think about the like the mad, the mad testing. So, um, I uh, pulled it down, um, in the UK, all the weapons testing that we did, oh, yeah. um, same thing in Nazi Germany, all the weird testing that they did. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. And they would select fit and able candidates and they would be fit and able. Yeah. And they would have known that as well because they would have had records about what they're going to do. And if The promise gonna, of getting a level three at the end of it would have made sense in terms of the...
0: And if you're going to have, if you're going to test super soldiers or super soldier like food or energy food or whatever, test it in the most extreme environments. That's what you want.
1: Absolutely. Because then um, you know they'll be able to cope in anything. Before you said that though, I was thinking along the lines of weapon testing as a possibility yeah. as well. And they could have actually been testing sound equipment.
0: A Russian blogger has come out with a theory where he believes that it was a missile, a missile test that actually went wrong. The hikers experienced the extreme heat and light of a missile that so didn't directly hit them, which caused them to flee through the back of the tent because they couldn't go through the front because there was so much light. It was that missile test that caused them, that caused their death, which is why there's so much about this that is hushed up.
1: If you think it's also in a snowy environment, all the heat and light would be reflected off the surface. That would anywhere, be it? Awful. So it would make sense the other thing is if it went wrong you're never going to know about it and like just because like even if we weren't like okay like i prefer the super soldiers but if we were thinking about the spotty radiation we don't actually know what they were testing like it could have been anything and we don't know what kind of technology they had access to or what they were tinkering around with and actually because it went wrong it's less likely that it's something that we're going to know about so that makes it intriguing
0: theory number four paradoxical undressing do you know what that is
1: sounds kinky let's get it on (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> there is there is there's also a theory that they were having some sort of orgy and and everybody not, somebody not, got pissed down off and somebody that. else I'm, I'm not down with that. that either but paradoxical undressing actually happens when you have hypothermia so when you get hypothermia you feel extreme mm. heat instead of feeling really cold and that they undressed and fled the tent because they were feeling extreme heat i am absolutely debunking that one because it does still doesn't explain the injuries
1: no and plus they know we're not talking about like amateur people here these are people that have done plenty of ski treks. they oh, know yeah, like if hypothermia. that was me or you
0: like if i yeah, climbed absolutely. a hill i'd fucking die
1: Yeah, absolutely if it was if it was me and you that is a rational explanation <laughs> we just die we die before
0: we even get there
1: but these aren't these aren't it isn't me and you these are experienced people they know hyperthermia they would have known what the side effects were there's no way it's that that's that's a cop-out
0: theory number five it was a yeti
1: i like it because i like stuff like that but I'm, I'm saying no.
0: I don't particularly believe in Bigfoot or a Yeti. You know, at me. Get it's out. Fine. But I can't imagine that if you had an ape-like creature, it would attack a group of nine men and women. Because it just doesn't seem logical. Like, in even even if you had a, a chimp or a gorilla on its own, it is far more unlikely to attack a group of eight or nine people who
1: are in a tent. They understand pack dynamics as well. Yeah, they That's do. That's the thing, like... It it could be, what we could have is a couple of things going on here. We could have military testing and then the Yeti could have got the girl by the river.
0: I'm not finished yet. Number one, two, three, four, five, number six. It was the Mansai people.
1: Bullshit. Why? Because, and this is where my past knowledge comes in, the past that they chose to trek in local Mansai custom is a no-go area because they believe it's full of spirits and... Yeah dark areas there's no way they'd be there because they don't use it themselves so it's not like they were breaching on their territory they just don't use it
0: yeah because they call it the Mantai people yeah. call it the mountain of the dead yeah those injuries they weren't done by a human because there is no soft tissue damage so how does that happen it's too
1: easy to blame indigenous cultures for things anyway they know their spirituality is a massive deal and if they they, they're, they were adamant that like it goes in they know they've got loads of evidence supporting it they amounts custom that is just a no go they don't go there because they believe it's bad bad luck there's spirits there's dead it's not a place to go they wouldn't just be out there
0: theory number
1: seven I know what this one is because I can see the look on your face but nobody else can aliens <laughs> yeah this is what I'm going for
0: I just can't somebody it was, it was James hey James if you're listening was messaging me on Instagram today and because I put up on Instagram what do you think happened and he messaged me saying that he believes it was UFO related, most likely, or some sort of weapon, but that they were, the, the hikers were met with some sort of light or heat source that they could not get out the front of the tent, so they had to go through the back of the tent. I always said we'd never talk about Stardust Ranch, but I'm just, I'm about to do it. It's that kind of fucking episode, All right. Stardust Ranch, if you don't know about it, is a ranch in America that's really famous. Also on
1: the Never Doing an Episode list.
0: It, it's a ranch in America that is a famous alien hotspot. And the guy who lives there, go look it up, listen to Brohio's latest yeah, shout episode. Shout again. They just did an episode on it. It was really good because they interviewed the guy who lived there. But one of the things on Stardust Ranch is that anytime his animals show up mutilated, they've had their eyes and their tongue removed. This woman who was in the riverbed, I, I would imagine it's animals. that Because she she was there for two months. Come on. No, so. Oh, God.
1: Two months, they would start on the eyeballs and the tongue because it's soft yeah. tissue.
0: No, some of her lips were gone.
1: For two months, it's not, not enough.
0: But you have to remember, it's extreme cold.
1: Yeah, but there was wolves and shit out there. If an animal had got to it, they would have taken the whole thing. It's in the middle of winter. They need survival food. It wouldn't They wouldn't have just picked out it. It wasn't and then in gone,
0: winter. It was like May. <laughs>
1: Were you not listening to the story? But didn't you just say it was extreme cold?
0: Yeah, because it's in the middle, it's up in the mountain, isn't it? Yeah,
1: but what I'm saying is if they started on it, they would have finished it. They would have done a better job of it. They wouldn't have just like nibbled on it and then walked off and left it as it is. It's too specific. If it had been like a day, then yeah, maybe because that's easy things to get. There, There would have been more to it than that. There would have been more destruction. Too. This is
0: really upsetting me. This is exactly why I didn't want to do this episode because when they released that they were reopening the case, I was like, "Oh, now we need to do an episode on this." I realised during the week I was thinking about this why I'm so frightened of aliens and I don't think it's because I'm frightened of aliens I think it's because if you tell somebody you've seen a ghost whether or not people believe or disbelieve they're sympathetic to it they go oh shit no way oh well maybe it was this maybe you were tired maybe you heard something else maybe it was natural you tell somebody that an alien's in your bedroom in the middle of the night sucking out your fucking eyeballs and everyone thinks you're lying everyone thinks you're mental
1: two bits of proof for that when I posted that I saw a UFO on Facebook, when I was back on Facebook, I got ridiculed immediately. I wasn't even talking about aliens. I literally meant a flying object that I couldn't even identify. Yeah? That's yeah. all I meant. But I got ridiculed. Point number two, that crop duster from Independence Day.
0: He is always our reference point for this. He, he fucking, he's like, I told you. I told you this was going to happen. Nobody believed him. Everyone thought he was mental because he was an alcoholic. And I'm sitting here drinking a glass of wine, ranting about aliens, realizing the fucking irony here. But it's... I don't understand why the Russian government have reopened this case now. I don't understand what the benefit of that is.
1: Because someone went digging. You said they are the journalists. Oh, in 2018, the the journalists. journalists. And actually, they haven't really reopened it, have they? No. (laughs) They've given three... They're looking at three possible causes.
0: None of which I can understand. (laughs) An avalanche, a snow slab avalanche, or a hurricane. Hurricane? (laughs) Hurricane. Hurricane. Or a hurricane. I... You know, those three things do not explain the radiation they do not explain the injuries that don't have any soft tissue damage they had to have been under some great pressure
1: the um the hurricane thing is not really like a, I don't think it's in the run. I
0: also read a theory where one, one of the group was blown away and the others went looking for them and I was like surely if a human being was blown away the others would also be blown away but
1: that is the sign of a good mystery the yeah. further down the list of possible conspiracies you get the more wacko they are i mean it's it a the, story worth discussing it was
0: the one that was like they were having a big orgy and then it got heated and somebody beat somebody else and i was like what then it turned into a mass brawl how many clearly this person had never been to an orgy not not that i have either but that's not the point <laughs>
1: Is there something you want to tell me? I wonder where all those car keys came from. Yeah, so robbing people, <laughs> going to
0: orgies and robbing people's cars.
1: But the the pass itself is actually known for unusual weather phenom- phenomena. So a hurricane, hurricane, hurricane sounds a bit like weird to us, but actually there would have been a thread of plausibility there. It's not as weird as it sounds. But the thing that makes yeah, me no, laugh no, I'm is not it's saying, all like I'm not natural. saying the weather is
0: impossible. Yeah. That's not remotely what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, you can't have a hurricane in that area or whatever. But what I'm saying is the injuries, they're not conducive to that sort of a death. If you had a snow slab avalanche or an avalanche, I would imagine that you would have bruising on the outside of your body. If you had injuries that are caused by an external force, a physical external force, you will see it. Like when I broke my arm, I had bruising all on the outside of my arm where I'd broken it. But these people didn't. They mm. had internal injuries similar to the force of a car crash, but didn't have any soft tissue damage. What the fuck?
1: So, I might actually disappoint you here. My honest opinion is I actually don't think it's got anything to do with aliens.
0: <gasps> why not? What? What's with all the spheres then? Why? Why was everyone seeing them?
1: I think it is a military, there's a military reason behind it and I think they walked into a military testing situation without realising it and I think that's actually what caused it and the reaction, the weird reactions you see is just done out of complete fear of not knowing what's going on hence like the lack of clothes and stuff like that and actually despite the fact that I spent ages trying to dispute it I think that probably what happened was that although it had been there for several months that body was probably frozen solid and it actually started to thaw by May, and it probably was animals that took the, uh, took the damage out of it. I do think it's military. I like the super soldier theory, though, and I've not heard that before, yeah, and I'm down I with that, because I either. reckon what happened was the ones that were radiated probably got rage, and they probably killed a couple of them, and then it started to take an effect, and then they all... That, oh, it doesn't cover the trauma, though, does it? I
0: mm. think it was most likely a weapons test. Like that blogger said that went wrong or they stumbled into it or they were targeted whatever reason I do think it was a weapons test I think that there are levels of radiation on your body all of the time it's one of those things isn't it and potentially if you were you know the weapon potentially obviously wasn't like a nuclear weapon therefore it could have had some level of radiation some of the bodies may have been closer some of the items may have been closer they might have been testing
1: small scale tactical nukes that they haven't quite worked out so you don't actually know it could be a nuclear weapon but the thing that says to me, government. Military testing is the way that it's a massive. It's just been massively covered up, hasn't it? I don't even think the bodies that they buried were the bodies. Of well, the that's people. what
0: it says. In the, I I had no idea. I don't about even, that not think the medical story.
1: reports were falsified. If they, the more confusing they are, the less likely people are to look into it if we it gives get them some fucking
0: Russian supercell come and knock on our door tonight not that they'd knock but come and knock on our door <laughs> not tonight that they'd know right I'm going to anyway. be fucking drop kicking people
1: but it's alright because uh, you're fluent in Russian now so it's all good yeah I've, I've, I think it's that and uh, the fact that they've just reopened it really just for a notion they? and they've only given them three options they're all natural yeah.
0: I think uh, in all there's over 70 theories about what happened
1: the only thing that is lingering in the back of my mind about aliens
0: is anal probing is that anal- no.
1: <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that if, had it been aliens and they'd crashed and the Soviet government had recovered what had crashed, they would also be covering up. Because sixties as well, they're still in the Cold War. So any tech
0: That's true, any upgrade. tech they would have wanted it.
1: And as we know from the Marvel Cinematic universe, all of our technology comes from alien technology.
0: So you're saying it's not paranormal?
1: No, actually I don't think it is. I think it's I think it's military based.
0: To so that person who left the review that said that Dan believes everything paranormal, you have been proven wrong. <laughs> He may have done. It's this still playing planier. in the back
1: of my mind about the aliens It's still playing in the back of But I think if we're weighing it up Like yeah. the, the, the blind justice person Dan's doing <laughs> loads of actions here
0: Because he's like four beers in So he's um, forgotten that people can't see you
1: I think that It's more heavily leaning towards Military Than it is aliens But either way government cover up Yeah we're on to you Russia We're coming for you Putin
0: Oh, so it's all fun and games until I get murdered. Because I'll be the one that gets murdered. And you'll be shipped off to prison.
1: Um, we get your know, eyeballs uh, We know that's not how it works, doesn't it? We know that if anybody's going to die by accident... It's going to be you. Yeah.
0: So we've had two reviews this week. The first one is entitled Amazing. And it's actually from David Wenger, who was our topic last week from charleville castle and he and, says we
1: can pronounce the name either way <laughs>
0: yeah thanks we, we were really hoping we didn't offend you so he said thanks guys i really enjoyed that i think you did the story justice i've shared it all over my social media keep up the good work and by the way you can pronounce my surname either way in america it's the first way but in germany it's the second way so we weren't too far wrong and our second review is entitled Balanced and Funny. I only just stumbled across this podcast, but I'm loving it. Very balanced opinions mixed with a good sense of humour. Dan cracks me up believing literally everything. And I just love Emma's accent. Keep it going, you guys. Well done. And that's from DudeBoy96. Thank you very much. I just need to start a podcast with me just reading bedtime stories. Yeah, pretty much. That's what I need to do.
1: Yep. Okay, so of Snowman.
0: Abominable, yeah.
1: Yeti. Bigfoot. What about them? Cousins, brothers. <laughs> no, basically. Fuck, what... <laughs> marry, kill. Yeah. yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm going for. So, which one would you have sex with? No. Do you think they're actually the same thing, or do you think they're different species?
0: So I would marry Bigfoot. <laughs> Weird. We've drank too much to be You have to, tonight. You have
1: to marry Bigfoot because you couldn't marry the Yeti or the Abominable Snowman because you'd be constantly living in a cold environment, and I'm not down for that.
0: Why? If I marry a... <laughs> why are you there as well?
1: No, I'm just saying in my own thing. Actually, I'd probably go for that um, Honey Swamp Monster. Because <laughs> that, that environment's quite warm. I'd be quite at home there, so I'd probably marry that one. Saying. I think so, we should leave it if you're it is, listening, right? uh,
0: please text us in. Text, <laughs> text us into our radio show. Please Instagram us or tweet us to tell us whether you, who would you fuck, marry or kill, the Yeti,
1: the Abundaburushler. That's the same thing. thing. Oh no! Okay, we'll add the, the Darwin, Yeti, Honey swap Monster, the, the Honey Monster. Yeah.
0: Oh, a big foot. <laughs>
1: oh, no, I'm in that honey swamp ape that we saw on Fat Fiction. <laughs> you know what I mean, the honey swamp ape. That one lives in the warm bayou. I'm down with the bayous.
0: <laughs> okay, and on that note. Oh, I thought we
1: were leaving
0: it on the I'm down with the bayous. I thought that was the car for him. <laughs> oh uh, no! On that note, we will uh, see you next week. Bye.